Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 281 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to start this show with a quote from Yogi Paramahansa Yogananda. Before you act, you have freedom. But after you act, the effect of that action will follow you whether you want it to or not. That is the law of karma. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So... If you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, welcome to the show. Before we go into the meat and potatoes of what I've got on offer for you today, I wanted to ask a favour. If you're a regular listener or even a new listener and you enjoy the show and get value from what me and my guests share, then do you know what? I'd be super grateful if you would take a couple of minutes now to head over to ratethispodcast.com slash TSC to leave an honest rating and review. I'd really appreciate it. And it, it really helps other people to find it and to decide whether it's worth listening to. So you've got a lot of influence. Okay, well, let's get on with the show. As you may know, because I shared about them before uh, on the show, I've had a couple of bad experiences with people using, let's just call them devious sales tactics on me. One happened when I was a little girl and I got conned out of the money I'd saved for my mum's Christmas present. As you can imagine, I was devastated and I'd love to go back to that little Sarah and give her a hug. And that day, besides the money, I lost innocence and trust for salespeople. That and other experiences coloured my view of sales and salespeople for years. And it's only around, I don't know, 10 years ago-ish when I really looked at this belief that I had. And I was able to make the distinction between sales, which is a noble thing. We need it. And done right... Uh, It's a good thing. And there is a distinction, though, between that and the people who do it badly. You've probably experienced sales tactics, too. And like me, you've either recoiled against them and scarpered physically or digitally, or you've gone ahead with your needed purchase, even though a little bit of the shine has worn off the relationship with the person that used them on you. Our experiences have made us sceptical of anyone with something to sell and allergic to feeling salesy ourselves. But whether we like it or not, we're all in the business of selling something to someone, whether that's ourselves as a speaker, our book to a reader, or our products and services to clients and customers. So I guess that means you have to suck it up and jump on the soft and hard sell bandwagon if you want to succeed. Well, no, you don't. That's because there is another way that will likely yield you more reward in sales and 
personal satisfaction than anything you've come across before. And that new approach to selling is called karmic selling. And it's been created by my guest, Stan Gwizdak. Stan is the CEO of the Cormac Group, which is a results-driven management consulting firm that embodies his clean heart and commitment to serving others. As a chief executive and Six Sigma master black belt, Stan has spent more than 30 years leading business transformations at companies like General Electric, BAE Systems, Honeywell, and many, many more names that you've probably heard of. And Stan's here today to talk about karmic selling and the successes and failures that helped him design his system and grow his company. And whether you're a speaker or a sales exec or an entrepreneur, you'll discover why when you do good, even more good will come your way. Exciting, eh? Let's crack on with the interview. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Stan Gwizdak. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be here this morning. Oh, it's great to have you. I'm very excited to talk to you about uh, your, your topic and the new book. Um, it's uh, I think it's much needed in today's world. But before we go into the book, I wanted to ask you on that sort of theme, what do you think is the number one reason that the traditional approach to sales uh, needs to change. Thank you, Sarah. It, yeah, if you look at some of the recent studies that were done out there, sales needs to really change because the world has changed and the world is changing. 90% of the executives out there believe that their customers trust them. Unfortunately, most of those executives are wrong because the true brutal truth is that only a third of the customers actually trust them and their salesperson sitting across the, the table from them. So if we look at today in general, we are in a trust recession out there. Folks are increasingly distrusting of the enterprises, uh, the politicians, the institutions and even the businesses that they're doing work with as well. And that's an issue because as you already know, there is no real sale unless there is trust. Mm. So I, I wrote Karmic Selling, uh, started it over a year ago, uh, to provide practical tips on how to earn business by earning trust, not realizing, and I think part of this I got lucky, not realizing that we were going to be in a trust recession at the same time. So I will take the luck. Yeah. But the book itself is really a way to drive sales, hit or exceed your numbers, your revenue goals, your gross profits, et cetera, while cultivating real customer trust, customer intimacy, and the karmic selling approach makes it easier makes the sales funnel fuller and the bonuses end up being bigger while all making a positive impact on the world. But even forget about the world and all of that stuff I've talked about. It leaves a nice warm feeling in your personal heart as well, because you know 
you're doing it for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. Oh, and I mean, I, I I completely agree with you. Trust has lessened, and we've all got more skeptical, more cynical, um, because of you know technology has contributed to that. But um, the way that politics is going, you mentioned, has contributed to that. But sales always had that tinge of um, sleaze about it, and I think we've all experienced. Um, so, some in some way uh, that for ourselves. I and mean, you had a particular experience when you were little, which made it into the book. I wonder if you could quickly just recap on that for us. Sure. Uh, I remember as a as a little kid, my parents didn't have a whole lot of money. Grew up in a small town in Central PA of 800 people, and I had friends who had gotten the BB gun, and all I wanted was a BB gun. But in the back of a comic or in the back of a magazine, I don't remember where I saw this, was this little wee ad that talked about, hey, we're an American seed company. We trust you, young person. We will send you a box of seeds for free. You go sell them, send us the money back, and then we'll continue to sell you as many boxes as you want. And it, it then said, the hook that they got for me is, hey, you can then get a BB gun, volleyball courts, uh, baseball mitts, all of these other prizes for selling as well. So I'm like, hey, I found a way to get my BB gun. So I did it. And I started selling seeds door to door. And at first, I just would knock on the door, the scared little kid, not knowing what I was doing. But I ended up finding that I liked it. And I started doing it year over year. And the basis of karmic selling started back then. I would take a little notepad and I would write down, ah, Mrs. Gerleski, she bought cucumber seeds, marigold seeds, and tomato seeds. Bang. I would then have that same card the following year, and I would go up to Mrs. Gerleski's house and saying, hey, Mrs. Gerleski, I know last year you bought these three seeds. Here they are for you. I made the assumption of the sale. But then I said, hey, I also saw that you planted flowers up front, marigolds, daisies. I've got some flower seeds as well if you're interested. So I was cross-selling, side-selling, taking notes on people. And it's interesting, I didn't know what I was doing way back then as a kid, but started the fundamentals of karmic selling, I, I don't know, I was eight or nine, whatever age I was at that point. But where was that in relation to you, to the other experience that you had? I think it was a vacuum sales, because you didn't at that oh, moment really perceive that yeah. you were doing sales, did you? Because you, did, where was that experience? Because no. you had a bad experience, didn't you? Yes, very, yeah, 100%. My parents, I still remember this. I, I was, a, again, a little kid, so all of the details are a bit foggy. But I remember this gentleman came in, smelling of really nice cologne, had a nice suit on, came into our home, and he, he said, hey, can I show you to my father all of this stuff on a Kirby vacuum sweeper? And he had all of these attachments. And I remember him pulling them out and saying, hey, you can paint your car. You can sand things. You can do woodworking, whatever all the the, the stuff was. And my dad felt, and, and I think the, the thing was too, and the missus will be so happy because this sweeper basically cleans the house all by itself, was the guy's sales thing. He sold my dad. Uh, it was it was a little kid. It was, I think it was $1,000. I could be off a little bit on the numbers. But it was a lot of money that we didn't have back then. And I remember the sales guy walking away with his cell, happy, skipping out to his car, left the sweeper behind. 
my mom come home and the world blew up. Uh, so the sales guy, the sleazy sales guy made his sell, probably overcharged, but also created havoc in the Gwizdak household for, for weeks. And what's, what's funny, my mom and dad have since passed and we, we cleaned out the house. As we were cleaning the house, I found the Kirby box with all of the attachments for painting the car. And there was a sanding thing of something in there and a bunch of other stuff. We didn't use any of that other stuff other than for sweeping the floor of the house. So the the sales guy, and I call him a sleazy sales guy because I, I felt that he took advantage of my dad and sold what I saw the wrong way. So it left a negative impression of salespeople in my mind from that point forward. Was that before or after you started selling seeds? It was it was before, actually, I started selling seeds uh, because I, I was littler. So it, it was maybe a year or two before. Interesting. So and you I don't think you made the connection between the two. And I yeah. don't think you made the connection later. But what was interesting yeah. was that having had that sort of early positive and negative experience, you you didn't do any of that when you went into your career. And, and you basically, I think you were an engineer, worked yeah. your way up to president yeah. and then chucked it all in. Could you tell me a bit about that? Sure. Uh, I had already had a presidency under my belt and uh, I took a step back to take a step forward. I was taking over as president of a business unit here in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I currently live. And prior to I was an ops guy. I had never really uh, done um, sales or anything like that, but I was about to take over as president. And what I realized at that point, from the outside, if you look at Stan Gwizdak and you look at my life, I had the wife, I had the nice car, I had the wonderful house, uh, we had our first daughter, Ayla, uh, and our second daughter was going to be born a, a few weeks after this particular point I'm about to talk about. So on the outside, it appeared that life was wonderful. But on the inside, I felt like I was trapped in a nightmare. Uh, the, the place where I was working, it uh, a ton of politics, a ton of nepotism, and I was just trapped in this nightmare of, of folks really, truly not doing the right thing to help the company and the business along, but doing just enough to keep their job. And the way the corporate was treating the, the individuals, this particular business had been laying off people year over year over year. It ended up being the opposite of really how I felt people should be treated, how people should work, how we should work along with each other. And I, I literally hated it because going to work every day, I felt like I had to take a mask and put it on. And I call that mask my asshole mask. Uh, I would put that mask on. I would drive into work and I would do what was necessary to fit in to drive the corporate results, to drive all of those pieces. But then when I drove home and I got back home, I had to remember, take that mask off and leave it on the shelf because I did not want that mask affecting my personal life. So I was living kind of two lives, but I, I couldn't carry on. I wanted out. I had the golden handcuffs. I had the money. I had all of that other stuff. And I wanted something different. And I, I couldn't. I couldn't find it because I had jumped from several different companies at that point, and I was not finding what I was looking for in 
the results from me on how I wanted to do it. So I realized I was going to have to create this myself. Uh, I wasn't sure how to be an entrepreneur, but I started listening to a book on CD, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. An old book. This was 2004 timeframe when I was listening to it. And he started me thinking about, I need to start my own business. I need to buy my own business. I need to do something different. But I, I didn't feel smart enough. I didn't know how to be an entrepreneur. I was always in the corporate world and I did what I was supposed to do. Got the engineering degree, climbed up the ladder, got to a great spot within the corporate world. But inside, I kept saying, Stan, just do it, you scaredy cat. Just quit. Just quit. Be done. But I couldn't do it. Sarah, you said something interesting to me a few weeks ago, an outstanding antidote. And I think you know where I'm going to go with this. When the, when the world senses you need to change, they'll send you three different pieces. First, they'll hit you with a feather of, hey, Stan, you need to change. If you don't pay attention, you'll get hit by a brick. Uh, and if you still don't listen, you'll get hit by a truck. <laughs> For me, I got hit by the literal truck. November 17th, 2004, my wife was eight and a half months pregnant with our second daughter and second daughter on her way. We had her name picked out on all of that other stuff. I was driving from the corporate location to our local plant location to support the local team, driving my Mazda Miata. And I reached down in the passenger seat to pick up my cell phone to let my team know that I was going to be late. I came up, cell phone in hand, Mack truck in front of me. <laughs> it pulled out. Mack truck, big trailer, big cement pipes and culverts on top of it. And I didn't have any choice. I was going to smash into the truck. I undid my seatbelt, put my hands up, and I laid down in the passenger seat. Thank God I blanked out. I was uh, got a nice helicopter ride to the hospital. Came to in the hospital, and they were cleaning this hand out from all the glass and, and stuff. But the good news is everything works. A uh, few scars, but uh, I'm a pasty guy, so <laughs> the, scars, the, the scars tend to blend in. I have one here, too. But the, the interesting part about that, I call that the best day of my life. Came to at the hospital. My poor wife, eight and a half months pregnant, was telling the emergency room people, hey, uh, I think I'm going to have... A child here, too. I'm feeling labor pains, too. So poor thing. And my poor wife at that time. But I I walked out of the hospital 24 hours later, knock on wood. I realized it wasn't my time. I realized life was too short. And, and Sarah, I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Something interesting. And, and I don't know if I'm remembering this differently, but I remember walking out of the hospital in a bright light. And maybe because the hospital was dark. But at that moment, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done with this corporate stuff. I, it's going to be okay. Something that I got hit by the truck, the universe, the message finally got through, and I quit. I realized life is too short. It can be done in a split second, and we don't get to choose our time. However, I shouldn't still be here, but I am. So I took the leap of faith. I quit. 
I started my own company and I started doing things that felt like the right way for me. It's a big message to to get. And it's often the way I've heard that. So, you know, you you just miss the small signals and and it takes a big one to uh, to make you move. So so there you were engineering background, very limited experience in sales, starting up your own company. And you already had sort of doubt surface prior to that. But how did you feel when you realized you had to be the rainmaker? but you didn't have that sales background. Uh, wow. Um, I was freaking terrified. Scared out of my mind. I had no idea what I was doing. I'm not a sales guy. I would not even today consider myself a sales guy. I'm a process guy. But I realized at that point, for my wife and I, there are no pennies from heaven. There's no rich uncles for for us to have. So I needed to make money. Second daughter was already here and I quit. I either sold or I didn't eat. So I'm an ops guy. I'm a process guy. I I hadn't done really selling, but I sold seeds door to door and I wasn't going to to make a living off of selling seeds (laughs) door door to door. So I started reading everything I could. I read every sales book and actually probably up on these shelves around in my office today are probably many of those same sales books, but many of them didn't fit me. Uh, one that, that resonated with me a bit was something called neuro-linguistic programming. It's how to communicate. So I learned and learned and learned, and I studied everything that I could, and I tried everything that I could, and I was failing all over the place. But What I found in most of the sales approaches, almost all of them focus on what I call FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And it's meant to create fear in the client partner side or the customer side of, hey, if you don't buy from me, you're dead. You're going to die. Your company is down and all of that other stuff. So I realized that. I started all of these different things. They weren't going well. And in my head, I went back to, hey, Stan, remember that sales kid? Remember you had those little notes about Mrs. Gorleski and the seeds and all of that other stuff? You were just trying to get a dang BB gun. If you didn't, okay, that's fine. You would have been fine. But now it's a little bit different. You needed to sell. So for me, I went back to that small kid in me and said, hey, why don't I look at putting the customer first? looking at how I can help them versus sell them and look at an, an, a, a karma, look at the belief of karma, whatever you put out into the universe is going to come back to you tenfold. So I started that and I discovered LinkedIn and this was early, early, early days of LinkedIn <laughs> prior to, I don't know how many people were even on it at that point, but it was early stages for me. and. What I found on LinkedIn, and I I found a way, and I tried many approaches on LinkedIn because at that time it was a little bit novel. So you could actually reach out to a CEO and get a direct connection with a CEO at that point. Uh, So I started blogging. I started posting. I started giving away the answers to everything that I knew to the universe, and it was interesting. Uh, A gentleman posted, at that point, LinkedIn had something called Answers. And it was where people, and it's no longer on there today, although I think they're bringing it back in a different format. 
But there was something uh, as answers. This gentleman posted a question on LinkedIn about, hey, I need help in continuous improvement. I need help in change management. Hey, does anybody have an idea of where to start? So I, I crafted a thoughtful response and I gave him many of the answers. I couldn't obviously, whatever the limit was on LinkedIn at the time, I couldn't give him the whole world at that point. And I said at the bottom, I said, hey, please feel free to connect with me and let's let's connect. So he sent me a connection request. Uh, I then saw that he was local here to Charlotte. And I said, hey, why don't we meet face to face and give me your email? I'll give you more information as well. So he sent me his email, hadn't agreed to meet face to face, sent him everything that I had. And I think at that point, you couldn't send a whole lot of attachments. So it was probably 20 emails or so. But I described what I had sent him. He said, hey, Stan, and, and at the time, I still remember, Sarah, right before hitting send on that, even the first email of giving the answer, internally, I'm like, am I nuts? I'm giving away the answer for free. This guy could run with it. He could go away. And I, in somewhere, maybe the bright light somewhere, it just came over me and said, hey, do it. It will come back to you somewhere. Maybe not from this guy. So I gave it to him. We met face to face. And that effect. That was my first sale with him. He didn't realize that first sale was huge to me and my family because, yeah, the money money was a little thin at that time. But by doing the right thing, I got my first sale. Brilliant. I love that story. And And basically, what you ended up doing was a, becoming a one-man, effectively a one-man band with your sort of consultancy competing with the big boys how you know how did how did you make that happen what did you do beyond that to to achieve that that's a good point and and he had said uh actually my first saw said hey we were looking at all of these other consultancies instead by you giving me all the answers for free i had to go with you uh but the way the way we did it, it it was interesting it was me me all alone in the company uh, made the first sale. That first sale ended up being a much longer contract. I think it was eight, eight, nine months in length, but he needed more people. So I brought in my friends from the corporate world as well. And we started growing the beginning of the, of my consultancy today, which is the Cormac group, but we turned it into a bigger project, a bigger sale. And we beat out all of the other larger consultancies by truly being what Cormac is really known for is a heart-led consultancy of us looking to help versus sell. And as a, as a sideline note, in 2023, Cormac had our best year ever, 60% year-over-year growth with zero employee turnover mm-hmm. within our business. Not too bad. But everyone in Cormac knows who we are. We are a focused heart-led consultancy of doing the right thing and the right thing will ultimately lead to profits and employees and on all of that other stuff. But we don't worry about the second. We worry about doing the right thing. So what we've done is we've cut the bureaucratic experience. We've created and got rid of the nonsense, created a very simple business model of keeping it simple. And one of our most important phrases is and one of our most important um, foundational blocks of Cormac is what we call our no assholes policy. 
and I don't know how to say that, sorry for my cussing, with that, by having that policy in place, we screen our consultants looking for the right people, both the right technical capability and also right um, customer-focused attitude as well. But we also screen our potential client partners as well. As we're going through the discussion process, we will politely bow out if we feel that, yeah, this isn't this isn't going to be someone that we really want to work with. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, we create a collaborative model between Cormac and our client partners. We create the buy-in, both with the top individuals, the boards, the CEOs, COOs, et cetera, uh, and the individuals lower and across the organization as well by looking to do true knowledge transfer and keep getting lasting results. And at the end of the day, we become a trusted friend. And it's all about, for us, winning the hearts and minds. And I'll be honest with you, looking back today as a 56-year-old guy and that 38-year-old kid that quit and started his own thing, the journey was never easy. The journey was always hard. And yes, if you say the word consultant and Google the word consultant, a million results pop up. However, we have found that by going on our way, we attract the right customers, we attract the right consultants to us, and we're able to grow in the right way. And really, it's really taking care of the client partners. Business will take care of itself. And we've grown via word of mouth. And in 2023, close to 100% of the work we did last year was either a referral, uh, they called us, or it was a repeat business from a, a past client partner as well. Fantastic. That's great. And so basically, what you've pulled that sort of, so you started your company at 38, you're 56 now. So we've got, uh, you know, good 18, nearly 20 years in, in this sales environment. And you've pulled all that experience and your systems and processes together into your new book, which I understand, you know, I think you mentioned is, is is already a bestseller and it's literally only been released, which is fantastic. What yes. if you had to sum it up, what problem do you feel the karmic selling system that the book talks about solves for individuals and companies? I think the biggest thing is when I started the karmic selling approach. It, uh, it ended up being true to me. Uh, it was true to Stan and, and, and true to how I perceive the world and work, but not everybody can be a Stan. But along the way, developed a, an approach that will help people and companies thrive and grow by doing the right thing. And the problem is really going up to that point that we made early on in our discussion of the trust recession of where we have now. When you develop the trusting relationship with your clients, your customers, your client partners, your spouse, uh, et cetera, you end up finding that you're able to grow your business. You're able to sell your ideas. You're able to negotiate in everyone's favor so that it's a win-win-win. Along the way, though, instead of it being stand-centric, have developed an approach that will help everyone be able to be a stronger salesperson regardless of their role in the organization and regardless as to whether they are a salesperson or not. But it's all about don't look to don't look to sell. 
look to help. Understand where the other person is coming from. You don't need to be rude. You don't need to be pushy. You don't need to be aggressive. You don't need to be obnoxious. You don't need to be an asshole. And for sales today, it's not really about a secret sauce, as we always hear about the rainmakers and boy, that person's outstanding at sales and why we need 20 of those persons. Many organizations today are looking for the secret sauce. That's one of the problems they have too, but they can't necessarily find another Stan or another Jim or another Sarah. So with that, by doing the not looking to sell, not looking, don't sell, look to help. Don't be rude. There is no secret sauce. You don't necessarily need to have superstars in the business. That everybody can be a very solid salesperson. And everybody can do it by following a sales approach. And that sales approach all the way through it will have the, the tenements of karmic selling, of doing the right thing, of looking to help and looking to support the customer by creating strong relationships, doing the right thing, and you will create the customer intimacy. And at the end of the day, you'll, you'll also feel good about yourself in that mm -hmm. process as well. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's the, the biggest thing, isn't it, is that you systematized what you basically did trial and error on when yes. you were building up your business and in the subsequent iterations of it before it, it landed where it is today as Cormac. Now, you've mentioned the relying on that sort of secret source or that superhero salesperson is one mistake that companies are making. What are the other sort of biggest mistakes that you see people in, and organizations making to attract new business? Sure. And, and we've seen this, and I've seen this across dozens of different companies as well. And you said it well. It's not the sauce. It's really having a process and a disciplined process across the entire sales, uh, sales arena, all the way from initial customer interaction all the way through the final sale. So not having a sales process is, is another one. Mm. And, and the next one is really looking at short-term transactional thinking versus longer-term true relationship and customer intimacy pieces. Part of what people will think is, oh, this won't work for me because it takes too long. <laughs> I understand that. I have had cells that have taken five, six, seven, ten years. That's okay. However, this process does work and has worked in a matter of one, two, three meetings over a period of a month or two as well. So it's really still staying in that course. So short-term transactional thinking not having a sales process and thinking it's all about the rainmakers, the secret sauce, all of those pieces. It's not the sauce. It's the system. And it's the process of karmic selling, of looking to help not sell across the entire piece as well. Now, you, you said that, you know, I, I, I get that, that a lot of people might think like this is going to take too long, building the relationship, building trust you know, giving value, um, yeah. which, you know, there are some, there are already some good people out there doing that stuff, um, but not systematizing it probably. Right. Um, 
and that it will take too long. But I understand that you were on a flight to somewhere and you basically closed, pretty much closed the deal uh, in, in that short space of time. Can you tell me about that? What happened? Yeah, that's a great example. Thank you. <laughs> so uh ended up sitting next to somebody on a flight. And sometimes you can tell when people put their earbuds in or they're reading a book that they, they don't want to engage and that's okay. This particular person was willing to engage, so we started a conversation. In an hour and a half flight, we ended up having a discussion of, hey, what does he do? What do I do? And in that mode, uh, I was saying, hey, here's how I can help you. Hey, I know this person. So I ended up getting Wi-Fi on the plane, and I'm literally introducing this new guy that I just met to potential customers. And he was also looking for a COO, I believe, as well and introduced him to a couple of potential COOs. And the guy sat back, and I remember him, he crossed his arms, he's like, Stan, what the heck? Nobody, nobody does this. Nobody, you just met me. Uh, what's up? And, and I told him, I said, hey, I approach life the same way. I look to help everybody. I assume everybody is a good person. And as a result of that, when we landed, he invited me back to see his his businesses, which is up in Indiana, and we sold we sold a project to him, and it was a nice it's probably about a million dollar project for us, and that's a nice size project. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter the size of the project. What matters is I was able to develop the trusting relationship by looking at how I can help him, and the true difference in that equation was truly I was looking at nothing from him. We could have landed and gone our separate ways and never seen any never seen each other again, but just in that short time frame, added so much value to him. He's like, wow, I really want this guy and his company as part of my business to help me as well. Cool. And and what would you say are the three key ingredients of karmic selling? I know we've probably mentioned them in varying degrees in the conversation already, but just to pull those together for people to sort of understand the the the, the cornerstones, if you like. Sure. I, I think the the big things within karmic selling is always look to help. Don't look to sell the person sitting across from you in the table. And in that, staying in that however I can help mode means a couple of things. If you're going in for a sales meeting, you don't put on a separate cloak of, aha, today I'm a salesperson. I need to be different. Stay true. And authentic to you is really the second point, because people will realize if you're trying to put on a cloak, trying to be different, trying to be someone that you're not, by being authentic to you, unless you're an authentic asshole, then it probably won't work. (laughs) But for all of us and all of you out there, the majority of us are good people at our heart and we want to do good. So having that as part of your, your DNA and having that, however I can help and being authentic to you is the second part. And the third is then really looking to build and help that person and build the longer term relationship and give away the answer for free and give them, even in a sales process at the end, give them the out. Tell them it's okay if you don't go with us. It's okay. You can do this without us. I've said that a million times. You can do this with your internal teams. And people will look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm like, well, you can. You, you don't need us to do this. I've given you the answer. You can do it yourself. 
but 90 some plus percent of the time they'll hire us as well. So those individual pieces, and I've seen it work. I've seen those key pieces work across multitude of different industries. I've done it selling seeds as a kid, didn't realize it. Sold car repair services as a kid, also had another business, Sarah. And started selling consultative services, sold solar panels myself. But I've seen that even with physicians, and one of the physicians on the cover of my book, who has a testimonial on the back, he talks about how he was convincing, using the karmic selling approach, convincing patients, convincing other doctors in their practice as well on how to drive changes and how to drive improvements for the, the patients. Also, and this is a case study in the middle of the book, a gentleman who is the chief procurement officer, a large medical, medical device company, he, he practiced it during the pandemic when nobody could get parts, everybody was out of parts and you couldn't get things. Their customers were extremely mad at his company. He became the forefront and the person going out to the customers, explaining what was going on and really kind of preparing to get beat up by the customers. But at the end of the day, he was true, transparent. He was authentic. And at the end of the day, he landed larger and bigger clients with those customers than the salespeople did as well as the chief procurement officer guy. So I've seen it work. I've seen it work across those different industries. And it's really all about building that trusted partnership and trusted relationship with your customers. Brilliant. And besides, obviously, going to get the book and we'll put a link to the book in the show notes and and the, and the page that you can get it from besides getting that if someone wanted to get started using this philosophy and system what would be the first in a few steps that you'd recommend i think for this to work and for it to be authentic to you so that you don't feel like you're putting on another cloak when you're going in to see a customer <clears throat> excuse me being authentic to yourself when you go in, not trying to be somebody different and truly looking to help everybody that you meet in the world. That could be, and this is a, a great example. It could be when you're out in the world and you see an old lady looking to cross the street, but there's a bunch of wet leaves in front of her. Take your feet and clear the leaves and offer her your arm to walk across the street. Put somebody's bag up in the bin overhead. Be kind, be thoughtful, and literally look at how can I help the world from my little sphere. And by doing that, it'd be awesome if this takes off and everybody does it. And many of us are doing that today. It's really thinking about how do we amp it up? How do we be that person that steps forward? Be authentic, be kind. And I'm telling you, at the end of the day, you can succeed by being authentic and kind. And success for you and success for all of us begins with a simple question of how can I help you? Absolutely. It sounds like, so take, taking the sort of good deeds that we do and that sort of approach that we, you know, a, a lot of us take in our day-to-day are being intentional with it. What if someone's in a company where there are those high-pressure sales tactics, are they going to have any chance of doing this below the radar? What what should they do? Have you got any advice for, for them? Yeah, 100%. Um, my first consulting firm, I merged with a much larger consulting firm, and I had the target on my head of sell something or you're fired in six months. My advice to them, this works, even in the high-pressure environment of selling or you're dead 
hypova mode. And what you'll realize is by doing it, you'll end up getting your cells faster than many of your peers as well. Even though they may be applying the high pressure, applying all of that other stuff, I think most of us today, Sarah, you and I, and most of us listening to this today, realize we don't want to be sold to. I don't want to be sold to. Uh, I get all kinds of things on LinkedIn and people calling me, hey, buy this, buy that. I don't want to be sold. But if somebody is truly looking at, hey, Stan, I want to help you. How can I help you? What's going on in your world? What, what's, what's your universe look like? What are the things? And, and Lord knows I need a ton of help on all kinds of stuff. But that however I can help mindset that we are all doing today, amping it up and doing it in that high pressure environment will still work. It even worked for me. Brilliant. Cool. Well, we're going to um, send people to the book in a little bit. Where does speaking fit into the picture for you? Now, the book is getting published. It's already doing well. You're turning that into a talk. Where, why? What, where does speaking fit in for you? I'm actually excited to share this with the world. Um, I'm not the guy who created uh, Random Acts of Kindness uh, back in the days of the VCR, Be Kind, Rewind. I'm not the guy that created that. Uh, but put together a, a process and a system that I literally want to give away to all of everybody in the world. And the only payment I'm looking back, and, I, and I'll, I'm, I'm wanting to speak, I'm wanting to give this to people. And all I need for payback is when I'm 85, I'm in an old folks home being pushed around in a wheelchair, maybe one marble or two left bouncing around in my head. If one person comes up to me and says, Hey, you're Stan Gwizdek. Like, well, yeah, there's not a whole lot of us out there. Uh, so, yes, I am. And they say, Stan, I read your book. I changed my approach to life. And it made my life so much richer and fuller. That's all I need. So I want to spread the word to the world. And I want to give this away. And literally, Sarah, the way I want to end this for anybody watching this, anybody seeing it in the future, and even on the speaking side, is how can I help you? Mm. Period. Absolutely. And I think this, the thing is, is this is for, you know, this is the speaking club. Um, but as speakers, we are selling, you know, ourselves to events, people and, it, you know, your reputation, how easy you are to do business with the relationships that you make. This is all relevant for, for speakers as well. So that's great. Well, look, thanks, Stan. I've got some standard questions that I ask sure. all my guests. The first question is this. What has speaking done for you so that you've done so far? It actually energizes me to be in front of a room, to be in front of people, to look the audience in the eyes and to see them nodding their heads and to see them saying, yeah, I get it. Hey, this guy, his points are right on. And even more importantly, the speaking part, I get jazzed and energized by being in front of the room personally, but I'm excited to share my story. But even the greater part is after the speech is done and people come up to me afterwards and start asking questions, and then I can be in the however I can help mode. Both of those really fit together as a whole. That's what speaking has done for me so far in my life and so far overall. Actually, this was me giving away I made the front page of the Charlotte Observer in 2009 
by giving seminars on how to use LinkedIn to grow your business. And I charge people 20 bucks because I realize giving something away for free, nobody values it. Charging a minimal thing and giving it away works. It, my speaking stuff started all the way back then and then even back in my career, uh, my corporate world as well. Brilliant. And have you ever had a, a speaking gig or a presentation uh, that didn't quite go to plan that you're like, well, I want to file that away and never remember it again. Land. Does that happen to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was actually in college is the one that comes to mind for me off the top of my head. It was a speech class. And I knew all of the content. I knew it off the top of my head. I had my little note card so that I wouldn't forget it. I got cocky going in front of just my little class of 20 people at Penn State. And I'm like, ah, I don't need my note cards. And I tossed them to the side. I forgot my content when I got up there. And I bumbled. I bumbled my way all through it. And I said, hey, I, I got to go get my note card. So that one was a um, memorable negative experience on speaking. <laughs> you carried on anyway. That's that's the important thing. <laughs> I um, did, yes. <laughs> so my next question is, what's the book that's had most influence on your life and why? Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Um Listening to the book, reading the book, I actually just rebought it and reread it again, and he's updated it uh, for today's world a little bit. Um, that book, the the piece, he didn't realize he was giving me the inner strength to quit. Uh, it took the truck for me to eventually quit, but that book has had the biggest impact on me. Excellent, cool, yeah, it's a great book. It's, uh, I think, it's sort of seminal rite of passage for anyone that wants to become sort of in that entrepreneurial space as well it's interesting okay what's the best bit of business advice you've had and why it's actually another speaking thing uh when i was at general electric i was given the chance as a master black belt to present to jack welch on how we were driving change and what we were doing my my boss, simple sentence, before I got up there in front of Jack Welch, he gave me some other advice as well, but this is what I remember, is he said, Stan, just be yourself. That resonated true, and that resonated true in all of this karmic selling stuff, being authentic to yourself. Nobody can truly push you around when you're being authentic to yourself. They can, they can try, but... The good news is, is you can strong, you can stand solid mm. when you're being true to whoever you are, whatever that may happen to be. Excellent. Okay, last question. If you could have one mentor, and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Hmm. I, I put him in my book um, in several places. Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves, and the quote in my book, I'll I'll butcher it if I try to remember it here today, but the more I learn about the man, he's had challenges in his life. He's had setbacks in his life, all the way from not being able to play hockey from an accident, lost his wife, lost his sister, but he practices karma, and his quote is all about karma and how much he has given away to the tune of him overhearing some people 
in the in the crew at one of his movies were going to lose their house if they didn't come up with twenty grand. He put twenty grand in the guy's house or in his checking account to pay for his house. But just what I've seen from the outside, I'd love to just sit with him and have him, not because I ever desire to be an actor, but because I believe in the fundamentals of what I'm seeing from him are absolutely true, and he's being authentic, and he's also living the karmic lifestyle. Absolutely, yeah. He sounds like an amazing bloke. I don't think we've ever had him chosen before, so that's great. But I think he, <laughs> he's a worthy a worthy mentor. Well, listen, Stan, um, if anyone wants to go and get the book, Karmic Selling, where's the best place for them to go? Probably Amazon.com, and it's available today. It's officially published today. Excellent. And if they want to go and find out more about you to speak or the Cormac group, where's the best place for them to go for that? Probably the best would be karmicselling.com. It has uh, some, some downloads, some freebies that giving away as well, from note-taking to prep and all of that other stuff to follow up. Uh, but that's a great place for, for pieces as well. And we have kind of a hidden section on the media kit, too, for folks that may have an interest in that as well. But you can contact me through there. The good news about my name, Sarah, I can't hide. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn, karmicselling.com, multitude of different venues. Brilliant. And if someone wanted to let you know about something you said that resonated with them, can they they can find you on LinkedIn. It sounds like quite easy since you sound like the only Stan Gwizdak around. Yes, I believe I'm the only Stan Gwizdak on LinkedIn. Excellent. OK, well, listen, best of luck with the book, although it sounds like it's going great guns. Best of luck with the speaking about Thank the you. book. It's been lovely to have you on as a guest and uh, I've really enjoyed the book and I would recommend it to, to people to change their approach and, you know, put people first. I love that. Thank you, Sarah. My pleasure being here today and I appreciate you having me on this venue as well. You're welcome. I hope that Stan's passion and energy came across as well to you as it did uh, to me on the interview. He's absolutely committed to getting this change out there and making things better for customers and clients and businesses alike. I, I've got his book and it's a great read with an approach that will really resonate with you if you're like me and want to feel like you're selling in a way that aligns with your values and feels completely natural. And at its heart, Karmic Selling has a simple message, but often, you know, the most profound things are the simplest things, which we tend to either dismiss or forget. If you've got value, insight and inspiration from this interview, do go and buy the book and let Stan know on LinkedIn if something particularly gave you an aha moment or resonated specifically. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Do also check out karmicselling.com where there are extra resources to go with the book. And from me, just one more thing to say thanks again for choosing to listen to The Speaking Club. And as I mentioned at the top of the programme, if you got value, I'd love it if you take a couple of minutes to leave an honest rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC or wherever you're listening. I'll catch you next time. But until then, you know the drill. Don't you forget to go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. It's a nightmare. You're an expert with so much to say, but now that you've been booked to speak, 
you're struggling to know exactly what to talk about. You want a talk that engages the audience and wins you new clients without you losing your personality or anyone feeling pitched to. But what happens when you sit down to create that talk is that you end up staring at a blank page for ages or worse, surrounded by hundreds of sticky notes with content that you could include. With so much material, you just don't know where to start or finish. Don't worry, because many experts like you face exactly the same challenge. And that's why I created the Blank Page to Stage Guide. In just 50 minutes, this breakthrough resource is going to help you identify the big idea of your message, make it relatable for the audience that you're speaking to, and convey it all in a way that gets the audience inspired and on board with your idea. And it works even if you have tons of material or your subject feels less than exciting. If you want to cut through swathes of content and get a talk that you're excited to share, your audience loves and wins you new clients, then grab your blank page to stage guide from saraharcher.co.uk slash new guide TSC. Oh, I forgot to say, it's completely free. Enjoy. Enjoy.